Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Comedy Podcast. I am your host, Brian April. You can check out all of our episodes. Uh, you can check them out audio on Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. You can get the video versions on Facebook and YouTube. If you have any questions or comments about the episode, uh, feel free to leave them down below in the comments, or you can reach out to me personally if you would like. Uh, you can follow my channel, youtube.com slash comedybrian, facebook.com slash comedybrian, or you can interact with me live one-on-one -on -one at twitch.tv slash comedybrian when I live stream. Uh, We're going to get right into it. This episode is uh, another amazing episode, another longtime veteran of comedy, just performs all over uh, the globe. He's uh, done everything. He's won everything. You know, Seattle International Comedy Competition. You name it, this man has done it. So uh, I'm very excited to have him here. I haven't seen him in a while. Looking forward to catching up with him. Please welcome Mr. Lamont Ferguson. Lamont, how are you, sir? Hey, Brian. Uh, I'm well, thanks. And yourself? Uh, doing great, then. Doing great. Good. Thanks so much for, uh, Good. for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, there with the intro, I, it sounds like I've, uh, is this goodbye? It sounds like I've defeated comedy. What, what <laughs> yes, you have. have. I, I've done, I've, I've done, you've done boss. everything. I've you beaten done, the boss at everything, every that, level. That's right. You just have to start the game over now. <laughs> just come up with a new persona, a new name and just start yeah. over. And a higher degree of difficulty. That's what yeah, I mean. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So just, well, we've all kind of had that pause with uh, COVID going a little longer than I think uh, we all anticipated, but uh, how are you holding up with the, we were talking a little bit about the, uh, the online shows and the virtual shows and yeah, not enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> they're not, they are very stressful. I don't, uh, it takes a different mindset to be able to do them. Uh, when I was uh, the ones or the two that I've done prior, uh, I treated it as because I've been doing a show that's kind of a news issue type of show where it's just me and the camera so therefore having done that prior to it I just treated it like that matter of fact I had the script of what the set was going to be right next to the camera and just read as if it was a teleprompter type of deal mm. but still it was extremely stressful uh and it's it's just weird it's very weird you know you're the somehow as comics we have made comedy more difficult for us <laughs> and really easy for the audience. I don't think that's how it was supposed to be. No, it made us more, more awkward than we already are. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's interesting though, that at least you can have your script uh, and like notes next to you, you know, when you're doing a, a virtual show, as opposed to, you know, if you're trying new material, you can have it there. Whereas usually for performing standup, it's kind of a frowned upon to have any notes. So, so we always, you know, go up just with it in our head. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I had it right next to the camera lens, but I also told the audience, uh, cause once I got to a bottom of a page, I pulled the page up and showed it to them and told them that I'm reading these <laughs> off of the thing. And then it made it more enjoyable. I, for me at least. Nice. Uh, one of the things, uh, before we get started, Lamont, one of the things I love, uh, about performing with you and, and what I love about your act is, uh, you have very, um, smart humor. Uh, you, have a, a great edge to you where you kind of don't care what people think. Um, it's not that you're mean or anything like that, but you have a little bit of that edge of like, you're, you're able to, if someone needs to be told off, like you could tell them off if you wanted to. Um, but you, you, you also bring in perspectives that, um, that aren't always just like, well, we're all going to get along. You're like, no, some <laughs> people got to go, you know? Like, so, and that's a, uh, that's one of my favorite things about you. You're such a, a, a great pro and you can, you can sit down on stage and still pull focus. You can stand up on stage, still pull focus. It's, it's a, a just amazing uh, watching you work. So love, love having you. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. That's the, the key. And it's, it's just being comfortable within what it is you do. Uh, I mean, I have no disrespect for the audience, right. but I don't give them the reverence of the idea that they, that that particular audience needs to prove that I'm funny because they have that type of uh, sense about them where they're they're You go up, they don't know who you are and they're like, okay, well let's see. We'll decide whether or not this person is funny, but this is like being a doctor, man. Uh, we've put in the years, we right. put in the work. Don't question on what my knowledge is of my <laughs> profession because I can be an audience member. You can't be a comic. So just sit and watch and go with the ride. Uh, it may not be your cup of tea, which is fine. 
Uh, but still, this whole idea that you need to make the decision as to whether or not the person is funny, that's not where it flies in my book. So Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such a valuable lesson for, for so many people who have no idea. It's like, you know, you try so hard to please the audience and it should just yeah. be, you know, obviously we want them to laugh. We want them to enjoy right. themselves. But, you know, it's you want to make sure that you're staying true to who you are and what your voice is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that's exactly the point. So let me ask you this. Uh, who inspired you or what inspired you to start doing stand-up? Um, always been funny. Funny kid. Started when I was uh, – started actually going to a club when I was 17. Wow. But uh, the thing is I started studying stand-up when I was eight. So when I was a kid, uh, there was – I'm the oldest of four kids. So, at the, But at that time, there was only three of us. Uh, you know, we're during the summer, we're at home. My mom is at home uh, with us. And so to be able to give us something to do, she took us to the library because it's free. So we go to the library and uh, I found my way into where the albums uh, were, not even cassettes. It was albums at the time. Right. And I found a five album set of radio shows from the 1930s and 40s. And I listened to those over and over again, and I was fascinated by the science of what it is that made the people laugh. So I studied Jack Benny, Fred Allen, Jimmy Durante, Avenue Costa, all of those people. I'm an eight-year-old sitting in the in my room listening to these albums over and over again. So then you fast forward that I was just interested in making people laugh and stuff like that. So I was uh, in a group uh, playing mu uh, as a musician, playing trumpet, and the directors of that group said, uh, we think, because they spend a lot of time with me, go, we think maybe you'd be decent as a stand-up comic. And that's all I needed was to hear someone who's in show business say, well, maybe you should try this. Right. And uh, so then I did. I just went down to the comedy store, wrote my stuff, and, and that was that. It's right out from there. Wow. So um, who were who are some of your other idols besides uh, that? Were there any stand-up? Like, were, did you start to study other like, more traditional stand-ups? Yeah, traditional stand-ups was uh, Cosby, uh, as most people did. Uh, Seinfeld yeah. was big. Uh, a guy named Franklin Ajay. I would say the, those were the three, which was Cosby, Seinfeld, Franklin Ajay. I mean, I listened to Steve Martin, the wild and crazy guy thing, that as far as the stand-up goes, and also Rudy Ray Moore, who was Dolomite. Uh, but those were the four that I would listen to a lot, and uh, especially on television was Seinfeld. As a kid in high school, I would tape Seinfeld sets off of the television uh, even before doing stand-up just because I was fascinated by how he wielded the craft and uh and then like i said franklin jai i love franklin jai excellent very cool yeah that's uh i haven't heard him brought up yet so that's uh you get a lot of the, the seinfeld and everyone feels bad about saying cosby and it's like well don't feel bad we we all loved cosby he fooled us right. all so you know like yeah. he was he was amazing at what he did but uh he was a terrible person but he fooled us all so it's right you, you know it's kind of like well <laughs> there there it is so you were can't ignore that it, yeah, you can't ignore that it happened. You know, yes. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so do you remember your first show? I remember the first few minutes of the first show. <laughs> I remember the first thing I said, which which got a laugh. And then I remember the rest of the set being horrific. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I remember that moment. I remember going to the comedy store and being very uh, – uh, I was so I've never been that nervous in my entire life. And I'm not someone who's going to go and talk to people a lot. Like I like to stay within myself or within my my circle of friends and stuff. But going there, it was just me. Uh, and I'm a kid in an adult uh, atmosphere and I don't know anyone there and anything like that. So I went and uh, there was a table right at the front. Uh, you, you know, you obviously you've been to the comedy store many times. Uh, there's a table right by there was a table right by the front door. And there was comics sitting there. And I didn't know what to do. I was about to jump out of my seat. I just sat down at their table and joined their conversation, which is extremely <laughs> unlike me. And uh, and then just being very nervous. And at that time, when you're underage at the comedy store, you either had to go up first or second and then leave the building immediately. So I believe I went up first and uh, told the first joke, which was a joke about – they were running uh, ads for the Olympics and everything about the Olympics, the 84 Olympics was 
Beatrice, the, the official sponsor of the 1984 Olympics. And so I went up and I guess it's the first line was something about, oh, I know what you're saying, another black comedian, but I happen to be the official black comedian of the 1984 <laughs> Olympics. And that was it. And it got a big laugh. And then uh, there was nothing after that, pretty much, is what, what I remember. Yeah. This was all downhill. So. But that, that one laugh was enough to hook you, though. The one laugh was enough for me to go, okay, this this may be fine. This, you know, let me just continually go and see what happens. Yeah, and, and that, that early part of the process of, of a career, just getting up, I mean, how often were you were you getting up in, uh, in the beginning, and then how long did it take for things to start to, like, click for you? I didn't go up very often in the beginning. Like, I would go, you know, and then i go the next week, and then, uh, and then every so, you know, when I'm, like I said, I'm a kid. I'm still in right. school. So uh, every so often I would I would go up and then there would be times where, you know, like months would go where I would just not call in and uh, just be involved in other things and not being able. Then there was a point where I would say mm, maybe three, two or three years in where I decided I'm going to go up more consistently just to see where I could go. And then the more I went up, the better I felt about it. And then there was a point where I was like, okay, this is what I'll just keep doing. So nice. Nice. Yeah. It's uh, uh do you remember that kind of moment though, when you were on stage and think like you started to get, start getting consistent and uh, did that happen for you on stage or was that more of an off stage thing? I'm, I'm still waiting. So anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, because uh, in the beginning, in the beginning, we always have like the, the extremes of like, okay, this joke does really well. And then this, the rest of it bombs or your, yeah. your shows are, or, you know, you think you killed at that point because that's in right. your brain, you hear laughter and you're like, oh, I killed. And you go back and listen, you're like, oh, maybe not. But the inconsistency <laughs> of it. And then at some point you kind of like get into that rhythm of where you go, okay, I'm starting to like feel this and understand right. and you start to have that consistency of show after show after show. Yeah. Well, I do remember because there was a lot of uh, uh, progression that took place and a lot of learning that had to take place. Uh, one, being so young, I could never be into the comedy club to understand how live comedy was actually performed. So all I could do was do what my version is of what I saw on television. So I'm a 17 year old kid and I'm talking topical and political. I knew nothing about those things, but I knew how to write what was the, assemb the semblance of a joke of that, but it, it made no sense coming from a 17 year old. You know, I'm up there talking about the administration and, and that, <laughs> oh, that James, that James Watt, the secretary of interior, he's evil, you know, and it, it just made no sense coming out of me. And to a point where I finally, I remember, I remember these moments. I remember listening to that and going, this is, makes no sense. Then I remember coming uh, home and uh, looking at my desk and putting down a blank piece of paper and saying, you start a new set from here right here, blank piece of paper, write about what you know. And then I just, I sat and I wrote, you know, and this is writing, actually by hand writing at the time, uh, the entire set of things that I knew, which made more sense because they were things about what I experienced as being a kid. So I'm talking about shopping for school clothes with your mom, games you played in elementary school and stuff like that, but not from the perspective of being a kid, but from the perspective of having had done that and that started to connect with, with the people because they all had experienced that. And then the sets got to be more consistent. Once I started writing about what I knew, uh, as opposed to, oh, well, this, I heard a comic talk about this, so I'll talk about that type of deal. So. Yeah, absolutely. I'll do my whole set on fracking. <laughs> no idea what's going on. Yeah. So, um, so what is your writing process? I'm curious. When you're when you're starting, uh, it, when I st it, it's changed throughout, but the, okay. the the principle of what it is has has remained the same, because once like there are many comics that are I know quite a few that are very disciplined. They will sit down. They go, hey, from three o'clock to four o'clock every day. I'm going to sit down. And I can't do that. I can't. Uh, what I do, what I have noticed, is that the less distractions I have, the more the the valve is open for me to be creative. So early on, I realized that I was very creative and writing while I was on the road, of course, because you have nothing else. It's just you waiting for that hour of the show that takes mm -hmm. place at night. And the other time is just traveling. So therefore, I have found out that when the valve is open, it's open. 
And when it's not, don't force it. Because when it's open, you can just write, 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 and then just kind of figure it out from there. So that's kind of what I do is that I will I will sit down. If I, if I start feeling it, I go, okay, good, let's go, and then start writing and uh, hammering stuff out uh, to be able to figure out what the particular piece is or a, a joke or something like that. But usually it's when there's no distractions because uh, that's when it works best. Absolutely. Um, I forgot to ask this already. Uh, is there a particular comic, either famous or not so famous, uh, that people would know that makes you laugh? Or what makes you laugh? What type of humor makes you laugh? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little different because uh, for the most part, just about every comic makes me laugh. I've done this for nearly 40 years. And uh, one of the things to me that is interesting is when I see a comic who's done it, not even like, like 20 years, and they have the I'm over comedy type of thing. <laughs> and, and I'm I not. I'm like, I could sit in a club every night if I could and watch open mics uh, just to watch the craft being performed, whether it's something that I already know that is just being reinforced or just done in a different way. Like, Oh, this is the 2020 way of doing that particular type of deal, but I'm still fascinated by it and I still enjoy it. And most comics I enjoy there's, you know, I like all the, the names, the regular names, rock and Chappelle and Bill Burr and uh, uh, the people that maybe people don't know, but are kind of big in the biz. Uh, uh, Jeremy Hotz. Uh, makes me laugh. Alonzo Bowden, uh, who's a good friend. Karen Rontowski. I, I love the craft and I love comedy done correctly. So, <laughs> well, that's the key done correctly. Done uh, the correctly. fact to me, the idea of sitting in an open mic every night is just uh, not enjoyable. Just because if, if it were, if I guess it's because if it's open micers, um, yeah. You know, and they're just talking about body parts and body fluids and whatever, and just like, yeah. okay, we've heard all that. But if yeah. if it were, you know, um, like if it's established comics working on new bits and that sort of thing, then to yeah. me, that's that's much more interesting uh, <laughs> to watch than than you know. Well, hey. I, uh, yeah, I because I would I, I love hosting open mics because uh, that to me is the most fascinating thing is to watch the thought process of particular, you know, comics who don't really know exactly how it is. And so that when somebody does show promise, they stand out a little bit more. But uh, to me, I enjoy that part because I enjoy going up and commenting on maybe the absurdity <laughs> of what the writing process is of what we just saw. And not in a manner where I'm making fun of that person, but just making fun of the particular bit and a lot of times the comments will go oh thanks i didn't realize that and i'm like yeah we're all seeing that that's why the reaction in the room was the reaction in the room mm -hmm. so uh mm -hmm. I, that 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 part i enjoy as well it's a little yeah. helping and funny well because you're yeah you're giving a little bit of help like you said and um uh, and you're trying to keep the audience engaged so what was the biggest piece uh what was the best piece of advice you received about comedy um it's funny because what was the best piece of advice I received? Or was there something that really stuck out that like changed something you did or? No, if, I think it was for me and I don't even know if this was something that I came up with or something that I had heard, but it's just the idea of uh, ha having the same respect for the craft of comedy as a fireman does for fire. I guess that's the best way to put it uh, because a fireman will tell you everything that they know about fire, which is absolutely fascinating that they know about fire, but they will also tell you that as much as I know about it, I cannot control it. And that's the same thing with comedy. As much as I know about it, I know for a fact that it is elusive to the fact where I can't control it to the point where I say, Oh, where's the room? Oh, it doesn't matter. I will walk up there and kill. That's not going to be the case, but it could be 99.9%. .9%. That one-tenth is still enough to know I don't control it. Yeah, so. that's crazy. Uh, and, and those shows, it's amazing that, like you said, those, those shows still exist, even though you, you know, you've been doing it almost 40 years. You, you think, I've seen everything, I've done everything, uh, which I guess leads me into my next question. What is the worst show that you've ever had? 
These are always that's funny because we were uh, I was on the show and we were talking about this and uh, I, I'm most of the time with comics, the worst show that you've had, we always put it into early stages. Cause so like no matter how long you've done it, if you go, What's the worst show you ever had? The first thing that steps in your pops in your mind is, Oh, I did this show and you were early on. It was early on in your career that you did it. And uh, it's because it gets measured the farther along you go, it gets measured up against better shows and better knowledge. So even the fact right. that me say, because they you know when's the last time I, had, I said, I'd say the last time I, I had a set that was not enjoyable was probably two months ago or whenever it was. Uh, I guess we've been doing this for four months, uh, the quarantine. So prior to this, so I got to see in February on a ship where I didn't enjoy the show, but the show wasn't bad because right. – you listen to the people and go, no, that was good. But now you're measuring it against other things. But still, the worst show, uh, early on, I don't know when it was, I was at the Naval Recruiting Center or at Naval Training Center in San Diego, NTC in San Diego, did a show there, and it was horrific. Uh, they, they wanted nothing to do with anything I had to say at all and uh, that always for now it will always stand out as being the worst show that i've ever had wow was it a uh was it just like set up poorly or was it just they they weren't digging you or they just didn't dig me they just didn't uh get me at all and um and i don't know what it was that i was doing at the time uh because no matter what i switched gears so many times in that set too uh, granted, I was very young, so I didn't have many gears to switch to. But I was like, okay, well, maybe this, you know, a little more edge. But even edge to me at that point wasn't really edgy. and right. uh, But it still, it just didn't go. It was just uh, horrible. I think from the very beginning was the problem because uh, this was the intro. The guy goes, uh, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Lamont the Comedian. Like, yeah, that's not going to go well. <laughs> when you're introduced by your occupation, that's not going to be going well at all. That's funny. So uh, if you can take uh, the listeners and the viewers through, what goes through your mind as you, like when you walk into a room and you go, oh, this this probably isn't going to go well. What what goes through your mind as, during a set when it's just not, not hitting? Well, in the set or when you walk into the room, because there are times where you want, like I, I do a lot of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of recon when I'm walking to a room to see what's going to happen in the room and to have the luxury of not going up first. It happens. When you're in that set and doing it, uh, it's just a lot of thinking of, okay, well, maybe I'll switch this. Maybe I'll go to this. How about I change this? How about there's more thinking than there is talking actually that's going on while you're on stage doing that thing. Uh, because you, you're trying for everything, everything in your head. You're like, let me grasp here. And then you're, you're also listening to where there might be a little bit of a pulse. You go, okay, well that there's something there. Now let me mine down that particular thing. And then if all else fails, then you try to go to the audience. But if they don't like you, then they're just not going to talk to you. And then <laughs> there's nothing you can do. When you just go, well, it's practice mode. And you just switch into <laughs> just do the rest yeah. of your stuff and get your check. Yeah. So, so I'm curious by that because because uh, we all kind of have uh, pre-show rituals or whatever. Uh, I do a lot of certain things when I go into a room just to kind of scout it out. What what do you what do you walk into when and what do you look at when you first go into a room? Uh, maybe somewhere you haven't played before. Uh, obviously, the setup is what you're looking at. And what I'm listening to from other the other comics prior to me going up is what they're listening to, or what the what the audience is laughing at. Sorry, listening to what the audience is laughing at, what they're reacting to. And then there are times where if something strikes me as being odd, I will remember it, and I'll I'll maybe even write it down. There are times I've gone up on the show and go at the end and say I've got some things to discuss from what we've seen. And I just have a list in my hand and I just start going down the list. And like I said, I'm not, I guess I'm poking fun of the situation. Not that I never t attack the individual, but I talk about the situation about the idea that what, what are we doing? How are we laughing? We're laughing at this. What, what are we thinking that we're laughing at? We, you know, with this particular thing. So that's kind of my approach. Mm. I try to be good. in the moment, try to be yeah. in the now to be, to be, a performer as well as an observer to where people go, yeah, he's kind of right. That, that was a weird <laughs> moment that that took place. 
<laughs> yeah, when uh, I know that happens a few times. Sometimes I'll be in a show and someone else with some sort of uh, medical issue or whatever will go on, and then somebody will come on and just be like, "This is the like the medical issue show. We got a guy with who can't yeah. smile over here, and we got this this guy can't walk, and this guy can do this." And yeah, again, it's not a mean. Uh, it's no. not a mean thing. It's it's just observing and pointing out the you know what's going on in the room, and I right. think people appreciate that and they laugh. It's very, uh, which, very which is always great. Uh, so tagging onto that question, where is the weirdest uh, place you've ever performed? For the, uh, I would say most of those would probably be in Canada, but it'd be weird for us, but not weird for Canada. That's mm-hmm. the thing because there are a lot of times where you're in a lodge that's in the middle of the forest. And, uh, and it seems weird, but then when you get in there, it's just a bunch of people that are eager and willing to see comedy. But the trek to get there was just very, very odd. So uh, I've not, I mean, other than the odd things of doing stuff in people's houses here in the States, mm-hmm. which there's no reason for that. There's no, <laughs> there's no reason for anyone to go, let's bring the comic to our house. Because uh, first of all, you're sitting there, you're performing in your sock self that makes no sense and uh and it's weird it, it's their comfort zone because they're in a house and you're the one out of your element which makes no sense at all yeah and there's usually no mic or no lights or no mic no lights and it's i don't know why i, I don't know well i guess why is because some comic said yes that's why that they yeah. continually do it but uh it, it shouldn't be done yeah, unless like, you can, unless you can replicate what you see in a comedy club, then don't try to do it. Right. And the, the, that's when they always go, "Oh, you could just roast everybody if you want." And you're like, "I yeah. don't know anybody." Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I've just rolled into it. I guess you know what? I, now I come to think of it, I would have to say the weirdest gig ever uh, would be this. Uh, I did a corporate event for coal plumbing. Is that, a, is that a thing, Cole or Kohler? I guess they're both the same. They're not the same, but those are two entities. It was one of those two. So here's what they decided. They were having a corporate event in downtown San Diego in a bunch of different locations, a bunch of different restaurants. Whomever thought this was a brilliant idea, they go, here's what you guys will do. You, we will spring you in to the restaurant, to the table where, this, where the, his employees are, and you'll just start telling jokes. Only for a brief moment in time. So it's like five-minute bursts of sets. And then you leave and go to the next thing. And the whole thing was for them to figure out what was going on. The employee is like, this makes no – so no introduction, no no idea that the, that the audience who's there knows that a comic is coming and you've just sprung comedy on them for five minutes at a time and then you move on. <laughs> Uh, that was the oddest uh, gig that I've ever done. Yeah, don't think of it. And you know, surprise comedy just works so well, so yeah. well. Yeah. People are not expecting <laughs> it during <laughs> the, during the best scenario. It is not one hundred percent. We are uh, talking with uh, Lamont Ferguson, uh, comedian extraordinaire. Uh, you can check out his uh, website at lamontferguson.com. That's L A M O N T. F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N.com. Uh, you can also follow Lamont on Instagram and Twitter at TV Funny Man. Uh, that's at TV Funny Man. And it's Lamont Ferguson, uh, who also actually has a thing we'll talk about a little bit more, too. Uh, he's a, a program on YouTube that you're doing, a new series on YouTube called The, the Now Normal um, yeah. with Lamont Ferguson on, on YouTube. Uh, actually, if you want to just tell us about that real quick, we can uh, talk about that now. It, uh, it was... Uh born out of boredom <laughs> because uh, <laughs> like you said, we didn't think this was going to last this long. Yeah. We, we didn't. And I thought, well, here's an idea. I'll, I'll just start doing just a regular type of uh, show where I talk about uh, news events and stuff, but a longer format, almost a kind of a daily show, uh, John Oliver type of thing. Uh, but with my spin that it, it makes it different because it's me type of deal on it. And, you know, do, do some jokes and stuff here and there. And so I started doing that, and then uh, I did four episodes of it, and then I realized that this thing is not ending. <laughs> now it's a point of me getting motivated to do the next episodes 
of uh, of the particular show. But uh, it's been fun. It was a fun little thing uh, that I've done. So it, it takes up some time and yeah, keeps people active and creative. That's and that's really what this is all about. That's how this yeah. whole thing gets started. I was like, I'm the just worst gonna... thing is that you're fighting the news cycle because that's the thing about it. And with this and with Trump, the news cycle is crazy because something mm. that crazy happened, you know, uh, a couple of days ago is done by Friday, and yeah. then you you're like, oh, I wrote all this stuff on it. Well, nobody remembers. No one right. remembers it at all. So yeah, that's the that's the most frustrating thing about it. A lot of people will say that too. They'll be like, "Oh, you must have like a gold mine with all the politics and stuff going on, and and with Trump and everything." And you say no because by the time I even craft something and get it shaped to where it would be good and right, like that's totally old news. And there's something yeah, that one brand new. So I mean, it's great for like you know Conan and <laughs> those you know Fallon right. and those guys. That's yeah, great yeah, for them. And and that show. night, yeah. Yeah, it, it is. Although I have learned a lot because uh, you remember the uh, West Coast funnies and that type of deal mm -hmm. of writing those news jokes is that if you if you watch the news all the time, you're very far ahead of the general public news cycle. So there's there's two different things going on. There's the news cycle, which just moves quickly. But then there's the public's uh, knowledge and awareness of the news cycle, which is has a lag of sometimes about a week. So you have to figure out where that 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 spot is that you can jump in to still be able to talk about something that took place because the majority of people have just heard about it. And uh, it, so it, to that point, it's a, it's challenging and interesting, but it's uh, it's it's a beast. It's a different animal. Yeah, definitely. And you talked a, a little bit about uh, Canada. Now, you do a, a lot of your um, your shows up in Canada. Um, what is it? What is it like performing in Canada? How did you get started performing in Canada? What's what's that experience been for you? Um, yeah, I, I do a lot, uh, or did a lot back when stand up was a thing. I did a lot up in Canada. Uh, I started because uh, I was doing a sh I was doing uh, some one nighter, triple type one nighters, and a guy who I was working with said, "Hey, have you ever worked up in Canada?" And I said, "No, I hadn't." And he goes. Uh, well, I got some contacts of a guy and uh, he shared that with me. And then I started going and it just became a nice fit for what it is I was doing. And I don't know when that was. That was early 90s as I started going up there and uh, working. And I joke on the fact, even here in the States, I joke on the fact of, about me working in Canada and saying that it's because Canadians are smarter uh, than Americans. I don't say that, but I allude to that and people go along with it. That's not the case. We're a smart country. You could not be what we are without being an intelligent, smart country. But the difference is, and the problem is, Americans have a slave mentality to television. We cannot get enough of it. We will watch it. And what that does is it lowers your attention span because they're constantly throwing things at you because that's what you need. Canadians have winter eight months out of the year. So when the weather is nice, they aren't going to sit inside and watch TV. They're going to go outside. They're going to go to the cabin. They're going to go to the mountains. They're going to spend time outside, take a walk. That lengthens your attention span. So when I go to Canada and any comic goes to Canada, they can listen to a story from beginning to end without there being a trigger in their head that goes, okay, where's this going? Where's it? Where, where, what are you doing? What's going on? It's taking too long. That's American. What, what's going on? What's taking on? What, I don't know if you've seen this recently, but uh, this happened, I don't know, about maybe five or six years ago. They started putting televisions at the gas pump to where when you start filling up, it'll just run. We can't be trusted with the two and a half minutes with our own thoughts of pumping gas that we need to have this entertainment. That's the difference. That is the difference of, uh, of being American and Canadian, that we constantly need to be just bombarded with entertainment and stuff that you can never take a point where you just go, can I just have my thoughts? Can I just relax and just be? Right. Yeah, just exist. And you know what's funny, yeah. too, about those is then they're like, be sure and follow GSTV on Twitter. Like, why would I follow GSTV <laughs> yeah. on Twitter? Why? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> What am I gonna? Oh, look! They're they're starting now. Let me go to Exxon and check it out. You know, like it's crazy. It's yeah. so stupid. 
I never, yeah. I never understood that. Um, now, also, Canada has some some different uh, setups as far as like the way they run shows. Uh, sometimes the headliners will hold; they'll do two shows at once, and they and run they- the shows the right way. It's what they do. They yeah. run the shows the exact right way, uh, and it makes an, and it and if you talk like I'm going to talk about it and say it, and then uh, the, the viewers will go, "Yeah, that makes sense." So what it is is that the headliners are usually or not even usually, but well, yeah, I guess usually because sometimes there are comics that are strong enough to uh, host. But more times than not, the headliners are the MCs and hosts of the show in Canada. So if I go up, I'll do two weeks at a particular club. I will host the first week. I will headline the second week. So the first week I'm up there, I'll just do my time and then just bring up people, you know, the the two comics on the show and then the headliner. And then that'll be the show. The next time I'll go up and headline. Because MCing and hosting has such a huge responsibility Yet in the States, we give it to the least experienced person on the show. That makes no sense. That's the person that carries everything. They, it's, they don't have to be the funniest person, but they are doing most of the heavy lifting on the mm-hmm. show. And we're giving it to the least experienced person in the lineup to be able to carry that. And they, so they don't do it that way in Canada. It's, it's the most experienced person. You're doing the show and uh, it works out much better. The other difference is uh, checks at the end of the show, oh. not during the headliner set. <laughs> at the end of the show, when the show is over, boom, we're dropping. When if I'm emceeing, I go up, and as I'm going up after the headliner is done, I'll say, "Okay, right now they're dropping the checks on your table." That's when it's done. And yes, one or two people, drunken idiots may run out, but it's not something that goes on all the time. If During a week, maybe there'll be one, probably zero. But uh, it's so weird that in America, we have this idea that, oh, no, because if we let them go, uh, they're going to run out. There'll be like 150 people all running out, not wanting to pay. I, okay. They do that at restaurants, you know, like they don't. Yeah. You know, like, there you go. They bring it at the end. You want anything else? Here you go. Yeah, What's, why can't they just incorporate that? Because it does, it does screw up the show, and it's so noticeable uh, when you when you've done both places. It's so noticeable as far as that that attention span drop off of people as they're looking at the check because you as a, you're closing the show, you don't know when it's going to happen, and right. if your set is not set in stone to where it's always the same. You, I, there have been many times where I'm talking and everything's going great. Then all of a sudden I realize I go, oh, I didn't realize they had dropped the checks. It, this is all in my head. Maybe I should have just waited or just not gotten into this piece where I'm so into it, mm-hmm. uh, where I'm really trying to sell it, as opposed to just walking through. But it, it's so it's very annoying. I'm so I, I always like to ask, uh, you know, headliners, what do you what do you do when you uh, during check drop, you know, some people just barrel right through it. Some people go into crowd work. What is, what is your kind of method? Uh, I'm never ready for it. So if I'm ready for it, I'll just wait. (laughs) Well, I'll just, I'll just wait. Uh, But if I'm not ready for it and then that, that realization comes on, then you can feel that I just start backing down from the the bit. And uh, because in my head, I was like, ah, you should have known better. Because uh, you should have paid more attention to what was going on in the room, uh, but I, I'll just I'll start dialing it down. There are times where you can really you're into a bit and you're selling it, and then there's times where you just go, I'm just going to say the words are funny as they are, so I'm just going to say the words and not put pressure on it. It's the same type of deal when I I, I tell comics sometimes about selling a bit uh, that you can understate it, and the the, re- the results will still be the same where if you deliver a bit to where it's almost an aside as if you like it's like an a matter as a matter of fact type of delivery but it still gets a laugh then there's no pressure on it but if you get ready to go like oh man here comes the joke and then it just falls flat well now everyone sees that you were trying a joke and it didn't work so there's two different ways of doing that so i will just go to the undersell whenever the checks drop and just kind of go, well, I'm just talking to anyone. Yeah, that's that's good. And then there's no, yeah, they don't know anyway. Yeah, and if they don't know. 
if it hits, you're a genius. And if not, you know, that's how it's supposed to be anyway. So right, exactly. Time. Sometimes I tell them it's a, a math exam. They have, you know, two two minutes to complete their their test and <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I hate it because I, I don't I don't do uh, I don't really like talking to the audience. That's just right. kind of uh, the way I was brought up in comedy was uh, mm -hmm. no crowd no crowd work. Yeah. Um, so I never developed that skill as much as I probably should have. But I right. also like just going and doing my thing and and going home. So when that happens, I'm like, yeah. I'll just I'll we'll just take the hit. <laughs> we'll just keep marching yeah. through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so what is, you, you talked about, you know, talking to some young comics, what, uh, what's the biggest, or what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see young comics make? Things have changed comics. so differently because it used to be, don't do anything before you were ready, but there mm -hmm. are no repercussions for that anymore. And it's not been that way for quite a while. Right. Uh, so I don't really know what any of the mistakes that anyone because that was the biggest mistake was was doing something or attempting to do something before you were ready, because it would come back to the point where if you went to a club and said, I'm a feature act, middle act, whatever it is, and you really couldn't do it, that word would get around and then you wouldn't be able to work for a bit of time as it, you'd, pro you'd have to go. It's almost like going yeah. back to the beginning and starting over again. But I don't think that 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 doesn't apply anymore because one, the clubs don't communicate with each other and they don't care. And most of the headliners are bringing their own people in. So it doesn't matter if that comic is not funny. They were, they're almost part of the package as far as the headliner, because that headliner is the person that's filling your seats. Right. So then you just have to do what it is that they, they're doing. Uh, I guess in general, uh, I, I would say the same things over to comics, what to do as far as either audio record or videotape your sets so that you know what's going on. So you can see what's it because going off a of memory or whatever it is, is not helpful, but to be able to see what it is, especially if somebody gave you a tip afterwards, then you can go back and see exactly where it is that they're talking about to apply that mm -hmm. thing. But as far as mistakes comics make, I don't know. They're the same. <laughs> I, I don't know if there are any mistakes anymore. Like you said, and you're saying this, and you don't have the experience that I have, and you're saying it, and I would say the same thing. Comics that go up and talk about bodily functions, yeah, that's been going on forever. So there's no way to stop it. Right. <laughs> and it is right. what they do. So, Absolutely. Um, so you, you talk about the, the craft uh, of um, – comedy and there's so many people that don't understand the psychology uh, a lot of comics don't quite understand that psychology yet um how how did that kind of get wrapped into to your act or uh i guess maybe what are some of your thoughts on on crowd psychology and, and comedy psychology uh some things that, that people can look out for there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot i mean that's that's my background my background is uh is uh, psychology. So I am very uh, interested and fascinated by the human behavior. And so therefore I utilize a lot of it within. Um, uh, I guess some of the things that I do on stage and there, there are times where I tell, I'll pass some of this stuff along to comics, but there's stuff that's just kind of uh, just pertains to me. Uh, one of the things I'll, I'll say that I pass on the comics about is hosting. Cause I absolutely love hosting shows is your job is not to be funny. Your job is to be mildly amusing and uh, welcoming is really more that you got to look at yourself as being an extension of the greeting of the club itself. Treat the club like an entity and that you are welcoming to the audience members and say, hey, just be relaxed is what's going to happen on the show. You being funny is a bonus because you just have to be likable, mildly amusing and welcoming to the audience as the MC. So a lot of times I will always say uh, uh, the next, my next guest, uh, that, so I treat it like it's a talk show. I treat it like it's my show. I go, my next guest on the show, and that makes everyone feel well, and the fact that the audience goes, okay, we, we like this. We like this thing that it's his show, uh, and these are the guests on the show, because as great as the guests are, the, the host still gets the credit for it. It don't matter whether or not Jimmy Fallon or Conan are funny, but if you had two amazing guests on that show, mm -hmm. people go, man, that was the best show we ever saw. 
Well, that man, did you see Conan last night? It was fantastic. What Conan do? I don't know, but so and so was on the show. That's how it works on that. And so it's the same thing with that. Uh, as far as the psychology for me is, I, I mentioned a little bit of it earlier. It's about the audience. Uh, with this idea of the control of them saying that we'll decide whether or not uh, this person's funny. I disarm them of their sense of control in the beginning. I don't rush onto the stage. I take my time onto the stage. Whether or not they keep applauding, because that's an old stack, uh, uh, stock joke as to where the applause dies down and the comic goes, thanks for keeping it going until I got to the stage. That doesn't matter to me. I will take my time getting to the stage because it puts the audience off balance. Because, like I said, they show up with the idea, well, we'll decide. Let's see if this person's funny. They're, and then the person takes their time getting to the stage. You're like, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who is this that thinks that they have to be able to take the time to come to? We're here to decide whether or not. And then it makes them realize that, no, you got to follow me. You have to follow. This is my show. You have to follow me. Uh, the example I give is you think that, Rock concerts or any concert could not start on time. Oh, they all could start on time. The band is there. They're in the back. The reason they make you wait is to let you know that they are not there for you. You are there for them. That's why they don't start on time. And uh, that's one of the main psychology things that I utilize on stage. It's just, a, it's almost like you got to break the wild horse <laughs> right up yeah. front to go, no, 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 I'm in charge. Just follow me. That's a really interesting uh, way of doing that. Because um, usually, it'll, like for me anyway, what I like to do is just come out and just go, okay, you guys are better, you guys are better, you guys are better than me. And then you just see it switch over time. Because Woody Allen mm -hmm. used to do that all the time. Mm -hmm. He would just disarm everybody that way. No threat, yeah. of no fear, whatever. And then they sit there and they feel all superior. And then all of a sudden it just slowly switches back. And then at the end, <laughs> kind of right there in his hand. And it's just, just such a joy to watch, just to see right. that transformation happen. Uh, yeah. But that's, that's the, your approach is really great. That's a great uh, approach. And I, one of the other things it also establishes is that it uh, makes it so that it doesn't matter what was on stage prior to me, hmm. because hmm. me taking my time to go, like when I'm closing a show at a club and stuff, I treat every show almost like it's a little mini special. Uh, so uh, there'll be music or whatever it is that comes up, even if the other comics didn't use any music uh, for me to come up because it washes the stage no matter what that person was doing prior to me, that moment of silence in a blank stage and that uncertainty in the room makes them forget about what it is they saw. And now they have to be locked in on what the next performance is. Because a lot of times they like to, you know, it's that ride the wave thing. If you're on a show where there's a whole bunch and it's just a showcase, you guys are doing small sets, then yeah, you want to ride the wave of the previous right. comic to do stuff. But if you're closing out, I don't need you so do whatever it is you do, because I'm going to do what I do. And uh, it just makes the audience, like I said, washes the stage, cleanses everything, and then we start over from here. Nice. I like that. That's, that's some good advice. So if you're listening, take notes, because that's really good advice. Um, so I guess we go, one of, the, one of the things I noticed, too, about you is you always tend to dress really nicely on stage. You're always, you know, uh, you've got the hat, you've got the, the scarf, you've got the, you know, you're always... <laughs> Generally looking good. Uh, what was the uh, thought process behind uh, how you dress on stage? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just the idea that it's a performance. It's uh, there's a couple of things about it. It's uh, it's about uh, respect for the audience. My my presentation of respect for the audience. Not every everyone can do whatever they want to, but this is my thing. Is my, <laughs> my presentation of respect of saying that you came out to see me or you came out to a show. You, if you have kids, you got a sitter. This may have been something that was planned on your calendar for a couple of weeks. Uh, so I'm going to dress as if there was a show that the respect for the audience to show that, hey, look, I, I appreciate it and I care about it. Um, yeah, I can't think of a time where I didn't dress up. There are times, like if I pop into a club, I'll, I'll not dress up if I'm just popping in and doing some stuff. But uh you know, it's just, just that's been the choice of just the respect, and I like it. I like uh, the look of it. I like uh, the idea of that uh, it's it's natally dressed. You know that type of thing. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Well, absolutely. It's just one of those things that, again, having that respect for uh, yourself and for the audience that, uh, you know, they're putting this time in, you put the time in that you're going to treat them with respect and well as, as well so that they, they feel like they matter. Which is yeah, a, that it, yeah, that this is a thing. It's not just yeah. I didn't roll out and just gonna okay. Let me tell you, you know, yeah, <laughs> right. Um, so a couple more questions, then we'll we'll get into uh, your your organization. Um, have you had? We all have these crazy audience interaction stories. Um, is there a particular audience story that sticks out with you? Whether you were on stage or off of some funny, chaotic thing, or just something somebody said, or yeah, the audience stuff is always crazy. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There have been different types of, uh, of either approaches to it because uh, in the early days back at the store, when uh, you know we'd fill all those days when the, the local comics had access to five of the seven days at the comedy store. Uh, so Mitzi would send you know, her pros down on Friday and Saturday, but all the other days were us. And those lineups were long. You know, you were at the store, you know, those lineups were just long nights. And so sometimes I'd go up at the end of the night and I didn't want to go into material because of who knows, they saw all these things, different things and I didn't know where to start. So I'd start by just saying, what have we seen tonight? What have we covered tonight? And then that just opens it up for the audience to start talking about it and yelling up. And then it's just the idea of controlling it of just making sure that you're able to keep it controlled and stuff like that. And those are usually some of the wildest things, but nothing that I really uh, remember in particular, but that was just the way that I would uh, go up as far as to control this audience mass. And then, then once I heard all the stuff they did, then as they're talking, I go, okay, so they haven't talked about this. They haven't talked about this. And then I go into what my stuff is and close out uh, the show. But as far as wild stuff that I've seen, uh, who knows as far as to be able to pinpoint <laughs> anything of one thing. I've not seen anybody get attacked on stage, so that's a good thing. Uh, but they are always crazy because of the fact that that comfortability of an audience member to either yell up during a performance is, uh, is mind-boggling to me on the yeah. idea that they feel that comfortable. Never anywhere else. No, no one yells up during the singer. <laughs> no one yells up during the play. No one yells up during anything else but stand-up comedy. And then the, the whole idea where they, at the end of the show, where I'm sure you've heard, where they go, I was helping you. Or, mm -hmm. yeah, I thought I'd help you out. Uh, Alonzo Bowden had the best line I've ever heard about that. Someone said they were helping, and Alonzo said, uh, he goes, that's okay. He goes, don't worry, I can do this on my own. Because I can't always count on you being here. I didn't know that you were going to be here tonight. So I came prepared with my own stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's the funniest. That's the best that's, one. That is really good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing how many people think that they can, uh, or even just heckle, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. the people, there's, there's the types of heckle where they're, they're trying to help, you know. Right. And then yeah. there's the, the mean-spirited hecklers. How do you handle hecklers out of curiosity? Uh, it depends, like you were saying. It's, it depends on the type. Uh, if there are people that are trying to help, then I will talk to them and just see where they're going with it and see what exactly it is they're talking. Because sometimes they do make me laugh. Sometimes I will acknowledge and just go, that was kind of funny. That made me laugh. That was funny. And then just move on. Uh, the mean-spirited ones, I just have no patience for. I don't. I have no – because, you know, the, the, what they want, they go, oh, get them, and then you'll burn it. I'm like, no, I don't. I've got stuff. And I prepared this stuff and this is not part of this stuff. And I will just be mean. I will just be mean and angry. The whole objective is to get them to cry and leave the room. That is the whole <laughs> thing about it. Cause I don't have time for the whole, Oh, look how funny I am compared to you. Like, no, I don't, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't have time for it. I, uh, yeah. I never understood why people sit there and go, this is going to be a good, you are going to get destroyed unless you're going to you know, <laughs> who is not, you know, comfortable in it or, or has been doing it a very short time, you go yeah. against the season headliner, you are, you're not winning. They, they have yeah, the, the last, Yeah, the, yeah that is the point, though. They, they have the mic. The last time I was out uh, in Toronto, which I love Toronto, it's one of my favorite cities in Canada to perform at, there were some weird young people, over, and a guy stood up in the middle, and I'd already been talking to him, 
but just kind of just whatever the little friendly banter was. And he stands. Oh, I was, I know what I was doing. I was asking whether people were celebrating anything because someone hadn't done it. The MC hadn't done it. And so I'm going along and then he stands up. I've already passed him. He stands up with his group and he goes, uh, he goes, I got something. I go, really? Because we've already passed by you. And he goes, no, really. I go, do you really have something? He goes, yeah. He goes, let's celebrate the anniversary of you, of something about my hairline, about me not having hair. And it was a weird moment where it wasn't funny and it okay. wasn't anything in the room. It was just awkward. It felt awkward for everyone involved type of deal. And uh, I just turned that into a thing where, because it's Canada, I said that that probably is the whitest thing I've ever heard. See, because for <laughs> white guys, it's a horrible thing for you to lose your hair. I, I have hair. I choose to shave my head. Do you understand the difference on how that is? For you, that's a nightmare. For us, that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter for us. But yeah, it was a weird thing where they where they they want that moment to draw attention to themselves, and then it doesn't go the way that they want. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, we are talking with uh, Lamont Ferguson. Uh, you can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at TV Funny Man. Um, at TV Funny Man, Instagram and Twitter. You can also check out his website at lamontferguson.com. You also have a Dry Bar comedy special out there. Uh, I don't know the link of that, but Dry Bar comedy. Oh, yeah. Uh, that is. Flash Lamont, most likely. Yeah, <laughs> something. Uh, that's funny because uh, we talk about that, about the idea that. I got just good for you and correct congrats on your dry bar thing. And I'm sure it'll do well. Uh, I was in the early stages of dry bar when they okay. really didn't understand how to market stuff. So uh, every, all these comics I hear, they're like, Oh, I made money. I got I'm like, yeah, I'm never going to see money because <laughs> they, this was the early stages of dry bar where they didn't really know they were doing. All I end up is I have a really nice tape of a clean set uh, is what it is. There you go. Uh, yeah. So, you know what? Here's what happened during mine. You talked about, we talked about earlier when you said that it was awkward on the first one and then trying to get it. So, here's what happened to mine. I had a set design because the name of the special is called You Had All Day. So, I had all these strategic callbacks set up to where that was going to be the end. The last callback was that line of the special. Uh, one, I forgot to do that line. Uh, the, I forgot to do the setup line of it. So when I got to the end on the first show, no one knew what the hell I was talking about. The second thing is the first 10 minutes of the set, which were going okay, then you started hearing bleed in of like a radio uh, mm. throughout, throughout the, the, the speaker system, like a bleed in of cutting in and out. It was almost like someone taking orders at somewhere or something like that. And then we realized that, oh, there's something wrong with the frequency and it's getting a bleed in from something else. Then the guy comes up in the middle and switches mics on me and he goes, yeah, it'll be fine. Just go from there. Well, I had a black mic and then I had a silver mic. And then I said, you think they're not going to notice that the mic changed colors <laughs> in the middle? Of so the whole first taping was just a wash of just nonsense is what it was. Right. And then the second taping, everything clicked and everything was fine. Uh, but it was funny. So there was no way that they could edit because, you know, they have you film two shows. They, right. they film so they can splice it. There was no way they could edit the first one into the second one. We had to take the second one just as it was. Fortunately, it came out uh, how it was supposed to. So That's funny because that, that puts a lot of pressure on at that point because you go, well, there yeah. that not, you know, now i got to nail everything on this one. And yep. uh, most people don't realize when these comedians, they see these Netflix specials or whatever, it's it's four or five shows yeah. uh, over the course of a weekend. They wear the same outfit and, you know, tell the same mm -hmm. jokes and they can edit in between and so that they get the best thing. But if you're doing like a one shot, then, you know, like you better have a great set. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Well, if you want to check out that, you can check that out on DriveBar. But otherwise, you can check them out at LamontFerguson.com, on Instagram, and TV, uh, Twitter, at TV Funny Man. And you can also check out the, the Now Normal show on uh, YouTube. And uh, today we're going to talk about, we're going to spotlight uh, an organization that uh, you brought up, Lamont. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell yes. us a little bit about the uh, American Stroke Association. 
American Stroke Association, uh, yeah, it's kind of a big deal. The older I get, uh, the more it means to me because I feel like it's something looming. Uh, <laughs> I, I know so many comics and so many friends who have uh, been afflicted by stroke. And it is, uh, it's the, I believe it's the fifth leading cause of death in, in America. And uh, it's, uh, there's not really many warning signs about it, which makes it so scary because uh, a friend of mine, perfectly healthy, worked out like crazy, and then all of a sudden hit by a stroke. Uh, so it is scary, uh, very, very scary. So that's kind of something I've paid attention to and uh, see what it is that they're doing as far as educating and then helping folks uh, to know what it is and what's going on. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a great, uh, it's a great organization, great cause. You can check them out um, on Facebook at uh, American Heart, or you can check them out on Twitter at American underscore heart, uh, the American Stroke Association. You can also check out their website, uh, www.stroke.org. That's www.stroke.org. And uh, Lamont, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up, but I just want to say thank you uh, again for for coming out and uh, and talking with me today. Good to catch up with you. Sure. Um, Thanks for having me. My my pleasure. And again, for those of you who are uh, want to check us out, you can check us out on Facebook. Uh, at Uncommon Comedy. Uh, yeah, Uncommon Comedy on Instagram at Uncommon Comedy Tour. <laughs> <laughs> YouTube. This is, this is your your thing, right? This, this is your my thing now. Yeah, <laughs> Uncommon okay. Comedy Podcast. Uh, and again, uh, at Comedy Brian all over the the internet, you can find me there. Uh, but again, thank you again to Lamont uh, for coming out and uh, really enjoyed talking to you. Let's do this again soon. Indeed.